Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Yes, hello out there again, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And Flynn, in a couple of minutes, we've got another great guest. Our buddy, Kirk Minahan, will be joining us. But before that, you were at the Garden last night and saw quite an epic show, from what I understand. Yeah, it was it was quite the show. Obviously, the headline would be Jungle Land, the tour debut but the whole story in and of itself was just that it was such a tremendous show. The band, the band was on, the crowd was really into it. It was, it was very loud as you can tell by the, by the clips of jungle land and backstreets on, on, uh, on our Twitter feed that they were there. The fans were uh, very vocal <laughs> in their appreciation, especially uh, of jungle land. And, friend of mine uh, had said that uh, he had seen a show a couple weeks ago and that it was a rote performance, but there was nothing rote of, about this one. Bruce was on, he was on fire. He was in the moment, every song he was there and it was just, just a tremendous performance. Uh, you know, it's probably not going to get much better than that on this tour, at least until he shakes the set list up a bit. But as far as the standard set list, this was a heck of a performance of it. Well, that's great to hear. And Brian Hyatt was there last night as well. He wrote a great review in Rolling Stone. If people haven't seen it, they should check it out. I retweeted it on our Twitter page. And he made a lot of the same points you made. And and interestingly, Brian also talked about the set list. And he feels, as we do, that Johnny 99 is a song that doesn't need to be in there every night. There's a few of them like that. But as a whole, the set is very cohesive and the crowd does seem to really respond to it. And and that's what the band is seeing on stage. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, going back to Johnny 99, there's that, that cowbell stick in there that uh, really didn't, really doesn't need to be there. And just seems a little weird when he, when Bruce starts quoting those infamous Christopher Walken, Saturday Night Live uh, lines about the cowbell, it's just a little bit off uh, considering the nature of the song, of course, it's a dark song, but with uh, with very bright, cheery music. So, it's, which, as Dave Marsh once pointed out to me, that's the kind of the history of of the blues and, and, and rock and roll. But let's go back to the highlight of the show, which which was Jungle Land. There was such an enthusiastic response from the crowd. They and they were into it. And Bruce looked like uh, he was kind of he was celebrating and in, in, in some fashion with the crowd over that song and. And then Jake came along and he nailed the solo. I was a little nervous there <laughs> for him, maybe, uh, looking at him, making sure he gets he gets every note, and and he did. And it was such a such a wonderful moment last night at, at, for that song in the garden. Yeah, I only saw it through the magic of video, and it just seemed to really be one of those magical moments, as you say, that you get with Bruce at the garden. Saturday night in Manhattan. It just it's the scene, and then he delivers. And there's nothing surprising about that. Of course, that's <laughs> what he's been doing for 50 years. And as we've said in the past, I think it's almost unfair to mention his age, but it is part of the story. What what is taking place here is almost superhuman, not just for Bruce, but for the entire band. And and last night I, it didn't quite hit three hours, but it was just short, right? Yeah, it was like two hours and 56 minutes, which I believe makes it the longest show of the tour, at least in terms of time, no? 
Yes. But you know, he's not he's not doing the uh he's not running around, he's not doing the the knee slides anymore and he's not hanging from the microphone stand upside down. So he's taken some of that that physical aspect of the show which in some ways really for me it's it was never totally needed. And the only thing he really does that kind of involves running around is he goes back to the the divider that's out the stage between the the pit and the rest of the of the seated of the seats on the floor. Um, and that's that's always fun. And that's at the end of the night. So if he uh, overexerts himself there, he only has one more song to get through before he can go back and uh, and, and take a load off. I, I just am still so impressed. As I say, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm just really glad that they're out there still doing it. And for all our quibbles about the set list, whether it's Johnny 99 or something else, the important thing is just that they're out there delivering and that we're getting to enjoy it because you can't take that for granted. No, not at all. And Bruce mentioned that during the show, obviously when he, when he introduces last man standing about, you got to live uh, every moment because you never know, you never know when it's going to end. And this is a hell of a show. I know people complain about the static nature of the set list, but when you're in the building, when you're at the show, it's something to see. It's, is it the Bruce we saw in, in 78 or 84 or even even 14? No, it's not. But it's uh, pretty damn good. And he's still, the, to me, he's still the best in the business. I totally agree. And now let's get to our main event. Our guest tonight was co-host of the number one rated sports talk show in Boston, the Kirk and Callahan show on WEI. Upon leaving EI in 2019, he declared himself the greatest free agent in sports media history, but his time on the market didn't last long because a week later he joined the Barstool Sports Media Empire. He's recently hosted a true crime podcast called The Case, and now he's also doing sold-out live shows. But of course, his main job is his host of Barstool's The Kirk Menahan Show, which focuses on a wide array of subjects, pretty much whatever's on his mind, including, and this is pretty incredible for us, the None But The Brave podcast. Kirk Minahan, we are thrilled to have you here, and welcome to the show. Oh, I am. It's about time on a podcast I care about. You think I care about my dumb podcast? Let's let's. I'm here to. I, I'm upset because I, you know, I can't listen to myself talk. So I'm going to miss an episode of the show. Now. I'm going to skip this episode sadly because I, I there's so few podcasts I like. So I kind of screwed myself over by uh, agreeing to come on here. But I'm excited. You guys know how much I love this podcast, and I am one of the. None but the brave ombudsman as well. I'm, I'm happy once in a while to be that, you know, that jerk who, who points out mistakes in podcasts, which I hate, except when I do it, then, then I, I enjoy doing it. Yes, you were the one who pointed out our I fought the law error that we made not once, but twice. <laughs> yes, it was a horrible thing. We can get past it, though, I think. I hope we so. We can do it together. I yeah. hope so. So Hal mentioned all your broadcasting accomplishments. You've done so much. And now you got this show with with such a wide audience. How did uh how did our podcast end up something you you want to talk about? Well, so I'll tell you from from my perspective, it's a real Springsteen. It's it's the closest thing to like those message boards. I used to go on a lot more frequently in the old days, where people are just talking about things that are past what the common fan talks about. The one that really for you guys listening to you guys really during the pandemic it picked up for me was I found you guys about then when you did that episode about sort of the lost years for Springsteen, sort of the drifting years, the California mm. years. I was like, oh, this is a topic, you know, like I like when you guys talk about Tunnel of Love or Nebraska or whatever, but I could talk about that. There's nowhere else where I'm going to find stuff like that or the uh, Born in the USA sessions, you know. Um, so I, I like the chemistry you guys have. Hal's a very optimistic guy. Flynn's the cynic, obviously, which I appreciate, which is good. You need that. You need, oh, you need that. That's not a bad thing. You need that balance. I remember Flynn tweeted a couple of years ago. I almost messaged him because I agree with him. I love Jamie Needs a Shooter. I think Flynn's the one that tweeted, I really like that song, but I don't like the last two minutes when they keep repeating. You tweeted that, Flynn. Do you remember this? Yes, I did. It goes on for yes. about and two or three minutes too long. And, and are we you are talking about step. the letter to you version? Yes. Yes, the, the studio version. You know, the man who... For like <laughs> nine minutes, which, you know, all the way up until then, it's like one of the 10 best songs. And then it, and I thought, a man who could tweet something like that, there must be some relation between us that two human, two human beings can feel like that. That's a beauty. To me, of the number, the brave podcast, optimist Hal, pessimist Flynn. That's a good thing. You need the Oscar and uh, uh, whoever the heck the other guy was who was uh, sloppy. Or, Felix, or you know, Felix, Felix yeah, Oscar. Who, who knows what I'm talking about? But you get my larger point. 
We cannot say how much we appreciate the amount that you've talked about our show. It's mind-blowing. When you started tagging us in tweets, I was just like, what's going on here? Why, why do they keep talking about us? This is a show that's covering all sorts of things, the NFL, politics, and none but the brave. It didn't really add up. So we really do appreciate it tremendously. Now, my, my podcast is basically, I don't talk about sports anymore. I pretty much focus on, you know, Springsteen, you know, basically like our own fans who fight with each other. And I like to talk about like supermarkets in small town America. I mean, the show could not be more at this point about nothing. It's not possible. So, I mean, you guys actually fit in perfectly. I ran the podcast that I found. And by the way, I have Springsteen fans, of course, in my audience who now tell me, oh, I love that episode. I love these guys. So, I mean, I hope you're getting, and you deserve it because it's, it's, a, it's a nice little thing you guys have carved out for yourself. I'm, I can't tell you what a big fan I am. Yeah, we uh, we really do appreciate it. But uh, let's get into Bruce. You were in Boston on March 20th. Uh, was that your first show of the tour? It was, yeah. So, you know, I had tickets for the um, the show Mohegan, which wound up getting postponed to September. So um, we wound up, I wound up getting very fortunate. I got some tickets from a, a, a big fan of my show who uh, works at the Garden. So I went uh, with an old buddy of mine, John Meter Perel. Um, you know Flynn. And I went in, you know, having listened to you guys. And how much you guys enjoyed the show you went to. Um, but I will say when I listened to the serious recordings, I thought, well, his voice sounds a little weaker. It sounds to me, it's not quite what it was. And I was getting nervous, although I knew the shows, everyone was saying the shows were great. And the minute the show started, the minute the show started, I thought, oh my God, like he's still, how is this possible? He's still as good as he was. I actually thought he sounded just as good as he did. The last show I saw was the last show at Foxborough, which was the last U.S. show at the, uh, of the River Tour. And to me, he sounded just as good. Like he sounded strong. He sounded powerful. The band sounded great. I left, I walked out and I said, that was my 67th show. And I have it in the top 10 shows I've ever been to. Is it one of the 10 best set lists? No. Is it actually one of the 10 very best shows? No. But is it one of the 10 best experiences I've ever had at a Springsteen concert? Yes, without question. Because of the years it's been, because of his age, because of the fact that I was blown away by it, by just the story he told during the show. No question in my mind it's a top 10 show. Definitely for me. I had mentioned the same thing when we did our show after Tampa. There's something about being in the audience now that has changed. I think the pandemic is part of it. Some of it is his age. It's our age, too. Nobody's getting any younger. And, and to me, there's just such a joy being there. And I think that's sort of what you're saying. We know Bruce is not going to be the Bruce of 2002. He's 20 years older, but the passion is still there. And, and that's more important than anything. No question. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure yeah, I've, I've, like everybody has setless thoughts, but, you know, when he's playing, you know, Candy's Room or we got, we got trapped that night um, or, you know, what, uh, to me, I think it's sort of two concerts within one. I know you guys have sort of touched on it. To me, it's sort of the concert all the way through Backstreets is one concert. And then post Backstreets is sort of a second concert, which I think is for everyone who's there. To me, the concert peaks with Last Man Standing in the Backstreets. After that, does it slide a little bit? For me, yeah. I mean, it's still, it was still really good, but the emotional impact all the way through the end of Backstreets. I mean, if he had said, you know, see you later, thanks for coming at that point, I would have said, great show. I mean, to me, that to me, if you say what is the concert in a strange way, that's the show right there, all the way through Backstreets. All right, so so you think basically the encores begin with Wrecking Ball, right? Or Because the Night, right after, yeah, right after which is a great Street. song, you know, which is a great song. Uh, like every, you know, I I don't want, I'm trying very hard on this tour. I'll go to other shows. I don't want to. I'm trying very very hard not to be the guy who rolls his eyes when Badlands is playing and Because the Night and all that stuff. I'm try, I'm 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 going to do my best. Is it so? I enjoyed it, but yeah, once it turns into that into Wrecking Ball, obviously I love Badlands and all those songs, but. At that point, I do feel like we're in greatest hits territory with Rosie and Glory Days and Born to Run and Dancing in the Dark. And that's, 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 I understand, look, people are paying a fortune for them. So I understand that. But, you know, this idea that's sort of a show about mortality, after that, I think we're kind of drifting into something else. I, I feel like, anyway, for the last, I don't know, 30, 40% of the show. Well, Wrecking Ball, I think, fits into that theme. And for whatever reason, it's very important to him. I think he, feels sort of like he is the wrecking ball or the building that's going to be hit by the wrecking ball, perhaps. Right. And I think that one of 
that last sequence is the one that is most important to him because tonight we know he's giving a spotlight to Nils. We don't really understand why she's the one needs to be played every night. And the rising also figures into it. So there is some aspect of it there. But then when you get to the actual encores, yes, he's giving, as I called it a couple of weeks ago with when we interviewed Charles Cross, he's giving the audience the red meat that they need to have. Yeah, I will not be joining in the class action lawsuit with Charles Cross, just for the record, in case anybody's <laughs> curious, I will not be participating. But the um, but for me, if you said to me, like, you know, you could take one song out, you could remove one song, I would probably take Wrecking Ball out. I, I just, have, I've heard it enough. I don't quite get, I get that he's in it. Well, listen, he's been doing it almost every show since 09. And I don't, it sort of eludes me. I don't quite understand it, but he's in it. And by the way, in the moment when you're sitting there, and I, I had really good seats. Sounds great. It just doesn't it doesn't connect for me at all. But you know what? The audience loved it. People were into it. That's the other thing. I was walking out talking to a guy who had been to he was older than me. He was in the sixties. He'd been to a million shows. He said, That's the loudest Boston crowd I've ever heard. And I didn't even think of it. And I thought, you know what? For me too, he was right. The crowd, all the complaints, and I led the complaints over the summer. I was I was moaning like everybody else. And I would said, by the time the shows come, they'll be forty percent empty. No one's gonna the place was packed standing the entire time in, in uh, the loudest, one of the two or three loudest Springsteen crowds I've ever been to. They loved it. They ate it up the whole time. They were standing, you know, they were standing for the new songs. They were sta- there was no moment where, you know, people, uh, some people sat during Last Man Standing, but that was it. That was the only breather for the crowd the entire show. He goes full full steam practically for, for the entire show. He doesn't really, as no. Hal has pointed out, he takes a break during Kitty's Back and while the while the horn players kind of stretch out a little bit, and I guess a little bit during Johnny ninety nine in the same kind of situation, but otherwise, it's full steam full steam ahead, and he and he brings it, and the performances are so tight. Did you did you have that impression as well? Yeah, I mean, insanely so. Like there were people behind us when Night Shift started playing that they were sort of complaining, and that was done. They said that sounded great. No, I like the fact that you know because the night isn't nine minutes. You know, I, I like the things, Badlands, same thing, just seems, seems, cl- now you have, you know, you have East Street Shuffling, you have Kitty's Back, both those songs take a long time, but, but yeah, I, at no point during the show that I think this is going on too long, this is, there was no, thankfully, there was not a song that introduced the band that was 18 minutes, I don't think anybody, real Springsteen fan, wants to hear that anymore, so I think he understood that, and it was a, I think it was like a 248 show, or something, 250 show, and it felt, you know, felt really lean, I, I don't need at this point in my life. Um, a three-hour and forty-six-minute show that really has no story, that has no theme throughout. I, I like this better now. Now I hope you know in the fall that things are different. The set list is mixed up a little bit. I suspect it will be, but I had no problem. Like you know, I I knew what the set list was going to be going in, with maybe one exception, and it didn't bother me at all. The show is really powerful, as as we've discussed, and. You're right. Fans seem to be loving it. Steve made that point the other day on Twitter. Someone challenged him about the fact that the set wasn't changing. And he said, we're having the most enthusiastic audiences we've seen in a long time. And I don't think that's all because of the story or the set list. Some of that is, I think, post-pandemic, because I, I think in general, crowds are ready to go because we know what we went through for the couple of years that preceded this tour. But there is something very special going on in these buildings. And that's why uh, when you read on the internet in certain places, Flynn and I will complain about the set list. And if he goes to Dublin and does the exact same show three times in a row, we'll have something to say about it. But right now when he's playing one show per city with something to say, you really have to see the show to understand it. And uh, I just think some of the criticism is, is misguided. Yeah, I think the one oddball moment set list wise on the tour is that he did open with night at one show. And that's, yeah. that was it. Like I thought at that point, you know, there was that point early on in the reunion tour where things got sort of wild cardish in that opening spot pretty early on. So I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be that spot, but he's just gone back to no surrender. I think I, I unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, uh, it was, uh, that was in Houston where he right. it was in Houston, he opened with night and also did fire with the priest, but that only lasted two or three shows. But yeah, right. I was kind of hoping for the same thing. Let's, let's bring in a rotating opener, but uh, not to be so far. And I was, you know, I knew going in, I was going to get one, if I got lucky, two wild card songs. I was really hoping for trapped. I was actually legitimately terrified. I was going to get a Seeger session song, like, like, like worried, <laughs> like my, 
things are breaking <laughs> on, my, on my body. I was like, if I get, you know, froggy comes a court and I would, I just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going, uh, you know, but, but I didn't. So, you know, trap started, sounded awesome. Um, I think trapped and I'm on fire was played the other night. So there's been those two or three sort of floating wild card to songs. Yeah. Priest as well. And I would guess that'll, that'll, that's going to, to your point, sort of the one-offs in this leg of the tour, that's going to be it. And again, for every city, it's a new city. And the feedback has been phenomenal. I, I thought, I really thought when I went in that I was going to walk out saying, well, it was good. I had a good time, but oh, you know what? He's finally, uh, now I understand he's 73 years old. Like things are starting to make sense. I can see the end. If you told me now, four years from now, you know, he's going to tour again with the East Street Band and he'll be 10% worse, 15%. That's still great. I would sign for that in two seconds. Like I, I think these things are going to happen now, which is, I'm going to be seeing Bruce Springsteen shows when I'm in my mid fifties. I, I started listening to him when I was nine years old. It's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. He is a freak of nature, man. That's for sure. Incredible. Stephen Hyden brought up the fact that he has really built in the age factor to the show. There's something very life affirming about it. He's not hiding his age anymore. He both in terms of appearance and in the story he's telling and, and he's sort of embracing it, which is great. And he is saying, look at me, I'm an old man now and I'm out here and I am kicking ass every night. And again, that's one of the reasons why I think the crowd is responding the way it does. They appreciate that. Well, I think, and I think, you know, to your, I've heard you guys make this point and I felt the same way too. You know, I'm, I'll be 50 next year. You start to see, you know, your own, like the audience is just some young people there, but the audience now is growing older as he gets older and it is sort of a communal feel to it. You know, there are people much older than me at these shows. There are people in their forties who started listening to him when they were 10 years old. And you're kind of going through this journey together with him. And he's saying, you know, we're, we're kind of all getting closer here. And like I said, it really does peak. Um, when he goes last man standing, which sounds just great, um, into uh, Backstreets. To me, it's sort of like, I, I don't remember a one-two punch that he's had on tour for a long time that's been that successful. I was thinking about, I went to a show in Albany in 2014 where he did the wall and the born in the USA. And I remember thinking that's like just a perfect one. And this is the sake, you know, it's it's the thought he puts into it uh, is 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 crucial and it just it 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 just lands so effectively and and you know it's coming I knew it was coming and it's still you know it just wallops you it really does and it certainly sounds like he's uh he's he's working he's bringing the the lines from I'll see you in my dreams and kind of into the bridge of backstreets kind of like he did with sad eyes way back in the on the on the darkness tour and before mm-hmm. And I think, and that seems to really work too. I haven't seen a show with that yet. I'm going on Saturday to the garden, uh, Madison Square Garden, that is. And I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be pretty great. And, um, you know, I was, I, 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 there were songs that, you know, I haven't, I was lucky I haven't heard in a long time. You know, it's been, that's the other sort of thing. I was trying to think the last time I had seen Candy's Room. And it's been, that's one of those sort of odd ones that I've kind of been missing for the last 10 or 15 years. I don't remember the last time I saw it. Sounded great. And there are songs that Springsteen sings that I feel like he sings better as an old man than he did as a young man. You know, I actually think that's one of them where it's sort of this sort of gravelly sort of voice of life sort of singing this song. I think it actually sounds better live to me now than the album version. That's probably sounds crazy, but that's what I listen to now. I was just listening to it today. So, I mean, I just, I was bowled over. I can't wait to see it again. And like I said, going from where I was where on my show, ranting and raving, saying I'll never see a Springsteen show again. How could he do this to community? I was like crying like a you know, like a like a four year old on the show about a guy's ticket prices to, you know, literally crying during backstreets is uh is a is a one eighty and I didn't think he could pull it off and he did. So I, I am I'm still stunned. He's amazing, and you make a good point. Every time I've ever doubted him, he's proven me wrong. Even with the tickets now, it's actually turned out to be pretty easy to get base price tickets as most of the shows approach. Not all of them, of course. And that doesn't excuse what happened back in July. We know it was handled extremely poorly, but it's all worked out. And and now the shows are happening. And as I've said in a number of episodes in a row now, we don't really want to focus on the ticketing anymore. Let's focus on the shows. Right. And when you do right. focus on the shows, everyone's response is what you're having. Well, I think it's something to, you know, when he's touring behind, which he's still doing, he's touring behind an album that he believes in. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like in September or October or November. I have no idea, right? I'm, if I see him in San Diego in December, you know, is it going to be two songs from this album? And is he suddenly going to be playing 
18 songs he's not playing Ooh. now, I have no idea. But, you know, when he has an album like Magic that he believes in versus when he has an album like Working on the Dream when he doesn't, you know, you have a tight show that you make that makes sense versus a show that's a mess. And right now, this is probably the tightest set list he's had since the first leg of, I don't know, probably the Magic Tour? Maybe? I don't know. Well, it depends how ball, he, first leg of wrecking, wrecking ball. ball. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The U.S. Yeah. wrecking ball leg. Right? Yeah, that's what yeah, I. That's, true. that's what I would say as well. But as you were saying, he's but he's only doing he's only doing five new songs. He's doing four from Letter to You, and then just one right. from Only the Strong Survive. Uh, that kind of that's a little disappointing to me. I wanted to hear more stuff off that album. I wish Priest was an every nighter. I wish Burning Train was an every nighter. What were your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I I tweeted. Uh, at Stephen Van Zant, who's been on my show and has been on yours, uh, that I wanted to hear Jamie needs a shooter. Of course, he did. A didn't respond and B didn't. You know, I don't know. I still don't know who. I assume Springsteen was sick. I don't know the answer to that. So the next day they started canceling the shows. Um, I want to hear that. Uh, we talked about it before the show. I don't think I need to hear the last nineteen minutes of that song. It keeps <laughs> repeating. But I really want to hear that song. If you remember one of the rehearsal shows, um, I think he paired that with something in the night. I think it was a back-to-back in one of the rehearsal shows, which would be like an un- just like unbelievable to me. That's you know would be the greatest two-pack of my entire life to see live. Uh, but yeah, but you're right. It's weird though. It does feel like the album is kind of looming throughout the show. But you're right. It's not seven or eight songs. Well, yeah. But do I need to hear "She's the One" again? No. Would I, would I rather hear a new song? Yeah. I, I I think. But to be honest, if if you said to me, is it more likely that six months from now I'll be playing two songs from this album or six songs? I think the answer is probably two songs, right? Uh, I agree with you. Unfortunately, when songs drop out, they don't usually come back. Right. Yeah. Like we're seeing I with do, Priest right now. I suspect that. Or Burning Train even. Yeah. I, I do think certainly Ghost, Last Man Standing, and I'll See You in My Dreams are going to stick around until the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Letter to You. Sounds great. I think it sounds uh, great. It does. Yeah. I was really impressed with how that sounded, even on recordings and then live. But I, I think you guys touched on this too. I was... Su- stunned, not stunned, really surprised that Ghosts got a reaction like the, the, the audience has seen it at like three shows already. Like it was a song they they were familiar with and were singing along with where not a lot of guys his age, if they bring out new material at a concert, that is that is bathroom and beer city. People are flocking out of there. But this one, people were in the Ghosts. They were really into it. It's a song that really taps into, I think, what the fans have been feeling for a long time. It's about being in a band and our love for this particular band. And I think that's why it's working so well with audiences there. And, and they know it, it, which is a surprise because as you say, with newer material, people don't necessarily know these songs and, and ghosts has just from the moment it starts, there's a reaction to it. And, And that is really wonderful. And I'm sure he's loving it. Yeah, I would think. I'll, I will be curious as, as a fan. I'm, I'm a you know a cynic like I know you guys can be with the set list as well. I do wonder when the audience. I guess if you come back a second time or a third time to your point, I'll be at Gillette. If things aren't mixed up, then do people start? Does it start being not such a great experience? I don't know. I'll be curious how uh, how how strong he sticks with this stuff. But you know, I, I want to keep it. I'll be honest with you. Like I would, I would like to hear like what becomes of the brokenhearted. Um, you know, I uh, I would like to hear. You know, I'm surprised. Like you know. Do I Love You was the lead single off that that record. He played it at uh, he played it on Fallon, had a video for it, and hasn't played it. I'm not saying I'm dying to hear it, but I find it odd that that's the he hasn't played that once at all. It seems strange to me. Hey everyone, it's Hal from None But the Brave. We want to tell you about something new that we're doing. We now have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash MBTB podcast. And if you check it out, you'll find that we're doing a lot of fun content that complements the main podcast. There's a monthly live stream where we take calls from subscribers. We're doing bonus episodes with additional tour coverage. And we just added a subscriber-only message board. So again, if you're interested, go to patreon.com forward slash MBTV podcast. Thanks. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz from None But The Brave, and I want to tell you about our exciting new sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that puts your music into online stores and streaming services like Spotify. You keep 100% of your royalties. The DistroKid app is packed with features. You can check your streaming stats from Apple and Spotify, upload lyrics and song credits. You can also get notified via push notifications when you've earned royalties. 
With Mixia, a powerful tool for those without access to professional mastering engineers, users can put the finishing touches on their track in minutes. There's a simple interface that is easy to use even if you're a novice creator. It's only $99 for a year with unlimited mastered tracks. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely. Send tracks to collaborators, booking agents, and anyone else you want to hear your work. Your music will stream at the highest quality so you can make a great impression. And the artwork files look great too. So check out DistroKid through None But The Brave's special link and receive 30% off your first year. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Once again, distrokid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Thank you. So you want to hear songs off the Strong Survive album? I wouldn't mind. Like they, the, the two-pack he was doing at the start, I, I did not like the second choice, honestly, from a set list perspective. But I wouldn't mind hearing what becomes of the brokenhearted after Night Shift. That, that would be, I, I think that'd be great. That would work really well. That would work yeah, well. I think that would work. I, I don't, but I think he is also aware. I, like, I, I just tell you my experience, like I said, Night Shift started playing and there were sort of groans from the audience. I'll be honest, the album is not my favorite, but there are four or five songs I like on it. And it's it's pretty recent. I mean, it came out in November, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It seems, I mean, you know, normally people would be, be touring behind the new album where he's just kind of playing a one-off from it. So, and evidently, as you guys know, he has new material coming out from it. So maybe we'll hear more of that as, as the tour goes on. Yeah, I think he really considers Letter to You as the album that this sure. show is based on. And yeah. I think the only the Strong Survive and its successor album are just sort of like bonus material from the songs that he really has a passion for and he worked on during the pandemic and he decided to let us hear them. In the past, I think they probably would have been buried. Now, now he's putting this stuff out. But I don't think it's ever going to really have a large impact on the show unless he at some point in the future sort of puts together that Fallon band again and does shows specifically for that material. Right. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, guys, I love, you know, Western stars and that's going to be ignored. I get that. Um, but I actually think it's not from the, from the actual albums, from the, from the film. I actually think like Rhinestone Cowboy would be a great encore opener. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but I think no. the audience would go nuts for no, that. No, not no, at all. We love a- that. Yeah, yeah, we um, I don't we we did an episode uh like right after Western Stars came, right after Letter to You came out rather, where Hal and I put together our forecasts and set list for the Letter oh, to right. You 2020 tour, and I had Rhinestone Cowboy opening the encores, and I thought, I mean, I love hearing that song. I put it on. Yeah, I think the audience would. Yeah. yeah, I think the audience would just eat it up, like you know, uh, just amazing. Yeah, but I think he, I, I'd be like, you know, it's the kind of thing where people. I guess Hyatt does, but when he gets interviewed, he doesn't get asked questions like this. But I'd be curious, and I know, I know, I guess he did mention it to Rotolo. I think in the serious interview, it just seems like he doesn't think the Western Stars songs would work at the audience. But at the same time, Last Man Standing in front of eighteen thousand people, they're captivated. Uh, I'll see you in my dreams. Same thing. Like the song Western Stars. Now I understand the audience might not connect to it, but he could, he could definitely do that in an indoor setting, no problem. And needless to say, Tucson Train, which we brought up, and I know Flynn is yep. going to bring up Sleepy Joe's Cafe. There are well, songs I'm, from that record that Danny can fit in. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm bigger on Tucson Train, way bigger on Tucson Train than Sleepy Joe's Cafe. So don't get, don't get me wrong there. But yeah, I think those, I, those two songs would work really well. If I said to you guys, you know, I understand it's not what he's going to do, but I would rather hear Tucson Train than out in the street right now. Like, for honestly, sure. I mean, doesn't mean I, doesn't, but I mean, I get how it works. But yeah, but but anyway, so I'm, this is what I'm thinking is I know you guys do. I think of this stuff all the time. And I think, I also think because I'm so screwed up that I think that Bruce and I have some sort of connection, right? So I think when I'm showing up at the show, when there's sort of a moment where he's, you know, he played Dirty Water in Boston, right? Yeah. Which is fine. I get why he does it. But when he turned around and talked to Max and clearly he was audibling, I'm thinking, oh, you know, here comes something in the night or here comes a song I want to hear. And it's like, no dummy. He's in Boston. He's going to play Dirty Water. Like he's not singing to you. He has an audience here who wants to hear the song. And, you know, I don't need to hear Dirty Water again, but the audience had a good time with it. He's in Boston. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that's sort of the bar band element of it, which I still do like. It's funny. Dirty Water was actually on the set list, but he changed oh, that right? the okay. order. Yeah, Thunder Road was going to be before it, I guess, after oh, Badlands, right. and then Dirty Water was was there. But 
gotcha. that's a perfect example. At least look, that's that's a little special treat for Boston. I understand it's been done in Boston before, but I do think that this is something the tour needs. He can continue to do this set group of songs and he he obviously is going to but it would be nice in every city sort of i hate the reference taylor swift but taylor swift on her <laughs> tour is doing two right. songs every night that she's only doing on that night and if bruce did that even with the static set list i, I do think it would add something yeah and so i don't know uh, do you get the sense now i understand they were knocked down for a while do you get the sense they're rehearsing nearly as much as they were you know, before I'm not seeing, am I missing a lot of rehearsal stuff and set lists or no? Yeah, I don't, they were on a roll there right before you got sick. They were sound checking and that's where you got pay me my money down, which I know you not a big fan of, but death to my hometown as well. And then they got sick. So, and I'm wondering if since they've come back, are they sound checking at all? Cause I haven't seen any sound check reports, but at some venues, it's just tough to hear. Uh, right. that's really the only way we, we can, we know what's going on is when people can hear from outside. Yeah. And I mean, I think he's, he's played it on tour already. Like tonight you said, you know, I know this will not be airing tonight, so we'll find out if I'm wrong, but I suspect he'll probably play Detroit medley tonight. I would, I would guess yeah. maybe that's a good start on encore. Well, and, you know, and he's already, be, again, like you said, it's a little treat and, for the audience there, which is good. And he's already done it on this tour, so it right. really would not be that big of a surprise. But I do agree. I that Taylor Swift model sounds perfect to me. About every night, have a have one or two just unique songs. It doesn't have to be that different. It doesn't have to be as how would say Balboa versus the Earth Slayer. But um, you know, it could be a Loose Ends, or it could be a Roulette, or it could even be Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah, I'll be curious to see, like I said, how this set list thing goes on. But, you know, I'll be honest. If I went, it was funny. So I had my live show this weekend, uh, one of my live shows in Maine. And one of the fans there the night before offered to bring me to, to Detroit and go see the show. Of course, I didn't do that. But if I had gone, it was the exact same set list as I had seen two weeks ago. I would have been totally fine. Nine, eight, nine years ago, I would have been pissing and moaning like a baby. So <laughs> I, think, I think I think it's just it's it's won me over. I, maybe it is the pandemic. Maybe it's I'm getting old. I'm just happy that he's doing it. But I am not. I'm I'm I am working hard. I'm doing my best not to not to be too much of a setless critic. Uh, we'll see five six months from now. But right now, I really can't complain. I I do see people on Twitter, and I do understand that. But I still think it's too early to be doing that. I just come back to the one show per city model, and he's done this before. The Rising Tour very early on was the same show every night. Yep. I can't get too worked up about that now, uh, not to repeat myself, but if he goes to Dublin and the three shows are exactly the same, well, then there's going to be a lot of people talking. It's not just going to be rumbling on Twitter, because I think part of that is when they sell multiple shows in a city, they know their audience. They know people are going each of the nights. So at that point, unless you announced it in advance, hey, guys, we're playing three shows in this city, but just know there's not going to be a lot of variation on this tour to come out and give the people the same show three times in a row in that week. I, that would seem to be unlikely to me. Yeah. And, you know, for me, just comparing it quickly to the last tour, which I liked, but the river itself is a workout, you know, when you're when you're seeing it for the second or it, it, to me sort of toward the middle of that album when I went to see it live, I was starting to get a little like when when is it end? Which I hate which I hate having that feeling. Just had just like is just felt feel like that's not gonna happen on on this tour. So I would rank I would rank this show, the Boston River show was unbelievable in twenty sixteen. I would rank this over any of the and I saw six or five or six of those. I would rank this Boston show for me above any of the river, you know, the two thousand sixteen River Tour shows. In the arenas, or did you? Does that include the stadiums? Both. I went to both. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'll be honest. Like I, I go, I'll go to any stadium. I like seeing Springsteen in an indoor rock concert. It just feels more intense. It feels to me more intimate. The set lists are obviously wild. By the time you get to the summer and you're outside, I like that element. But if you, I, I just like. I just think it sounds better. I mean, it sounded the, the sound of the garden the other night was incredible. These these seventy, you know, I see him in Gillette and There's seventy thousand people there. It's hard sometimes to. I have sort of a connective thing every once in a while. The show may be great, but, but yeah, for me, this was the, this was the best Springsteen show I've seen since probably that Mohegan sun, uh, um, high hopes tour show, which I really, you know, had like, um, 
Seven Angels and stuff. Sort of the crazy set list. Yeah. The the very last night on on that tour. Correct. Yeah. The tour ender. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if we Hal and I were both there. <laughs> we were right. There. Yeah. Yeah. He played, I think he played Santa Claus Come to the Town that, which I didn't love. Again, this yeah, is the things that yeah, bother yeah. me. But you know, this is this is why you know this is why I yeah. listen to this podcast. Yeah. You just mentioned you did a live show Saturday night. Now I've seen some of the clips yeah. on Twitter. I heard you talking <laughs> about it on your show. You did a version of Born in the USA. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's the the definitive version of the song. I don't know. If, I haven't heard from from Bruce or Landau or their camp yet. I think they're. I think they like it. I wouldn't be surprised if we'll do it at some point. So <laughs> you know the the way my show my show's just insane. So uh, this started out with the with I was brought out uh, carried through the audience in a casket. There are about two thousand people at the show, and I'm my old producer is walking me through purgatory. And basically, I have to beg to come back to Earth, and he gives me two hours uh, to win 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 everyone back and win to the two hour show. And so I I go back to Earth, and and my producer voiceover says, "Here he goes, uh, alive again, just like he was forty eight years ago when he was born in the USA." Which I totally stole from Springsteen at that two thousand nine Giant Stadium show, which I went to, uh, where he played "Born in the USA" the album in order, and he it was somebody's birthday, some friend of his that day. And I still remember the way he ended. He's like, just, you know, my friend who was born, born in the USA into the song. And I always thought that was a great way to do something. <clears throat> so that led to me singing Born in the USA back and forth with 2,000 people. Obviously, I am no singer. I'm just running around like an idiot. The crowd was wild. It was great. And there was a moment where I thought, like, I was nine years old, 10 years old when Born in the USA came out and changed my life. I would be upstairs in my room listening to the record spinning round and round and singing to it. And here I am 40 years later doing this to this. It was completely surreal. It was an absolutely brutal version, but it was just a ball to do. And by the way, my relationship to that song, I've had Stephen Hyden on my show a bunch of times. Um, you know, that song to me, when it first came out, I had no, I didn't know what a, I didn't know what a VA man, I didn't know what anybody, I didn't know. I thought it was just a great rock and roll song. Springsteen showed up in my life when I was nine, 10 years old. Like I always say, he was just like, for me, like the Thompson twins. Like he was the newest guy in the top 40. I didn't know who Bruce Springsteen was. My uncle said to me, no, 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 there's way, way more there. And I'm so glad he did. But Born in the USA has gone for me to be sort of this song that I loved when I was 10 to a song that my buddies would make fun of me for being a Springsteen fan when I was in high school in Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Did, you know, oh, where's your bandana? Where's your fist in the, all that stupid <laughs> stuff. To a song now that I have no problem, none, if somebody says to me it's their favorite Springsteen song. Because I think, it's to me one of the five greatest songs in his library. I have no no issue with that whatsoever. It's it's just an incredible, incredible rock song that he pulled off. And I wish, and I know he doesn't do it. The last time I heard it, like I said, was at that Albany show. Other than that, not much. I know he doesn't play it in the US ever. But like it's it's wild to me that he's an artist. Imagine any other artist, whether it's Hall and Oates or Contemporaries, Lionel Richie, somebody who has a hit like Born in the USA. I hit like I'm on fire or my hometown or tunnel love, which is a top 10 song or streets, which is a top 10 song, hungry heart. Uh, and just does, does war was a top 10 song. He covered doesn't play him. He's like, yeah, we're not playing on this. Tour. He just doesn't No, no other artist, which is great, but no other artist in the world would have a song is connected to him as born in the USA and essentially never play it. It's crazy. And it sounds great. And the audience loves it. I can tell you guys, you guys don't understand. I do as a singer. It's a tough song to sing. So I, I, <laughs> yeah. I you know, Bruce and I can, under, we, we can, we can, we can understand that together, but it's crazy to me. Like, you know, you look at the set list and like a buddy of mine saw the set list and he's like, that's what he's like. He's like, where's born in the USA. He's like, why is it I'm like, he doesn't play it. He doesn't play it. I'm like, yeah, he just doesn't, you know, he plays kitty back, kitty's back every night, but he doesn't play my hometown, which is great. It's one of the great things about him. I only saw a few uh, a few seconds of of your show, whatever the video clip you posted to Twitter. Yeah. Did you sing the whole song? Because I only saw you doing the cool rock and daddy part with the with the crowd singing the chorus. Yep. Oh no, I sang the whole song. That was a yeah. So that was some fan captured the video, which sounded great. I, mean, I didn't sound great, but I'm saying the audience sounded super loud. Oh yeah, I sang the whole thing. We did it. I was working on it, so I run every you know I try and run every day. When I would run uphill in the morning of my run, I would sing it then because I knew how hard it is to sing. And I did rehearsals. I'm running up and down the balcony and doing everything. I could barely breathe doing this song. Well, oh, I sang the whole, oh, I butchered the whole thing. And now I know all the words. But, oh, it's, <laughs> I can imagine with no audience. We have a backup 
this band is one of the guys, a huge fan of the show. It's a great band. No exit four from Rhode Island. They just backed me up. We did a bunch of songs that night. Uh, we did. I fought the law that night. As a matter of fact. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm just like, it's, it's, it was just a, it's just a blast to pretend to be a singer for a call. I, I don't know. I, I did a show for two hours and I'm, you know, in decent shape and I'm 40, 48 and I was exhausted. I don't under, I don't, it's incomprehensible to me how he does this for two hours and 50 minutes every other night traveling around. I know he's not traveling on the bus, but still <laughs> it is, it's, it's mind blowing to me, but it was a great time. It was a lot of fun. I was listening the other day to your show and you were talking about how tired you were and you had just done one show. And I was like, just think how Bruce feels. He's 74 years old. He's going to do four or five shows in the next two weeks. It's crazy. But yeah, I I just keep thinking, you know, as I get older, like I'm so lucky that in 1984, I always say this and nothing yet. I love this band. But in 1984, I always say I could have gone left or right. I could have gone left with Van Halen and just gone with them on that journey. They would have been my guys. Or I could have gone right with Bruce and Bruce was there. And my uncle Steve was saying, nope, like you've got to listen to the river. You got to listen to the darkest on the edge of town. And he dragged me, thank God, to the right. Nothing. I love Van Halen, but I can't imagine now sitting around and knowing they're never going to tour again and listening to David Lee Roth butcher songs in that last tour. And, you know, just the music, Bruce, you know, like Western stars to me is a miracle. Like nobody's, nobody's, nope, none of his contemporaries are making music like that. Or even magic. He was 57, 58 years old. Even now, Janie needs a show. I understand it's an old, you know, this album, touring behind this album, there's nobody, there's, there's just nobody like him. There's nobody like him. No, not at all. And I think the fact that he does play new material does, that reinforces the fact that he's yeah. not like everybody else. I can't imagine the Stones or, or the Who ever playing anything new off a, off a new studio record. No, it's just not going to happen. And they release him. But, you know, and I think that's why, like, I didn't, I was excited they were together, but the reunion tour sort of, I liked it, but it it felt like a group doing a greatest hits tour by and large. Now they incorporated new songs, of course, as the tour went on and, you know, we had land of hope and dreams every night. And I know they did, you know, a bunch of stuff, but it was kind of a tracks tour in a way, but I, I still really like when he has, whether it's the rising, whether it's magic, whether it's wrecking ball, whether it's letter to you, I like when Springsteen is touring behind an album that I know he thinks is worth touring behind. It just means more to me always has totally agree and we certainly hope he's going to even delve more into this record house of a thousand guitars flynn's going to point out it's probably not going to return and it it didn't work perfectly but he only gave it two shots uh, burn and train has been played a bunch of times hopefully that's going to be played more priest and he hasn't gotten to Janie needs a shooter as we said and there's also stuff like the power of prayer which i think would work really well live so Hopefully he's going to stick with this. We know he's going to stick with the core ones, as I said, but I would like to see a little bit more emphasis on the rest of the record. I think we all accept he's not going to do much from Western stars. Although if he could just put in even one song a night, I think it would be amazing. And we'll just have to see how the tour develops from here. Yeah. And I'm excited. You know, like I said, I'm I'm just, I'm I'm thousand percent. I mean, there are, I mean, I could list the, 200 songs i want to hear on a night but i know that's on this tour it's probably not going to happen and that's and that's okay and you know i'd also be perfectly content if two years from now like i I would have guessed right if there was no pandemic although i guess i don't remember with western stars the movie came out at the end of that would would he have toured behind that if there was no pandemic he was not no which would have been a shame i don't know why he wouldn't have done like a 16 one, you know, with a coup behind that album. I'm not sure what his, what his, just because of the size of the, of the, like the, the group that he would have had and that he would have brought them with him, like the movie size or probably he needed that whole yeah. orchestra and all the strings yeah. and yeah, it would have been, it would have been tough. I thought I had heard about a couple of nights being held in, in this, in 2019 for or actually, no, it was 16. It was before he made the decision to tour the river that he had a, an album coming, the non East street album. And he had a couple of nights booked at, at the garden, but and I assume that was, that would have been this album, but never happened. And yeah, I'm disappointed in that as well. Yeah. I mean, a song like, you know, yeah, you said there's a bunch of songs, but I mean, there's been so many songs that have been kind of, you know, you know they come, they go, you like them when they come and then they're just, they sort of get dismissed. It's, it's always interesting what makes the cut year after year and what doesn't. And like, you know, I love the rising. Um, and that's become sort of a signature song wrecking ball for some reason he likes it to become a signature <laughs> song. So these other songs have sort of fallen, you know, I mean, I'm trying, uh, uh, Lonesome trying to Day hasn't shown up yet. 
No, right. Yeah. I mean, you know, a song like you'll never hear it again, probably, but a song Gypsy Biker is a great song, but like, you're just never like never going to, I suspect you're just never going to hear a song like that again from a great album that really is not going to be represented. Like it's like the album never existed. One of the things we've been talking about lately between ourselves is just when he plays three nights in a place, I do think the set list will be changed, but is he going to be drawing from a base of 60 songs, which will be some of the more obvious like switch ties to bind for out in the street one night, hungry heart another night, or is he going to delve more into the hundred, 150 songs as he's done in recent tours? I think the story is really going to be told as he arrives in Europe at the end of April. And we get to these multi-show cities. I also never know because I don't know the dynamic, obviously, how close they are. I just don't know how often Stevie Van Zandt speaking for himself or he's speaking for Bruce when he tweets these things out. He definitely is not afraid to speak his mind, which I like. But when he said the other day, as you referenced earlier, well, this is the set list. If you don't like it, it's not changing. I'm thinking, well, does he know that because Bruce told him that or is he just sort of annoyed at some idiot on Twitter? I can never I think I'm, I'm overreading the situation probably, but I never quite know what's going on with those two. It's, it's a great dynamic. I was just going to ask Kirk if you had, uh, are you going to both Foxborough shows in August? I don't know yet. I don't. I, obviously, if I had to pick them, I'd pick the second one. You know, I probably will. I probably, because I'm sort of at the point now where you, you know, things are great, but you don't know. You don't know, no, if this is going to be the last E Street tour. I don't, I don't know what you guys think. I, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said maybe. I'm going to say now it's, I almost feel like it's definitely not going to be the last E Street tour. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm sort of lost in the show from the other night, but I feel like, they, they couldn't do this in two years? and Why not? It might be the last tour. I'm not sure. I do think- something you know that I don't know how? No, no, I don't know anything. I'm just looking at what's happening and the ages of the players and how long this one's going to run until- right. We do hear this is going to run until late in the fall 2024. At that point, you would expect they would take a several-year break. So by the time cool. they're coming back, Bruce is going to be in his late 70s. 77. But you know, but yet you At see least, like, you know, yeah. the Eagles, yeah, the Eagles are touring, McCartney's still touring. I know it's different, but I mean, at some point, at some point it ends, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. But but to, to answer your question, well, that's why, yeah, I'm sure I'll probably I'll probably go to both. He's he's 45 minutes from my house. It would drive me nuts if I'm sitting there, you know, <laughs> reading the set list uh, on some, you know, idiot Twitter account instead of being there. So I'm sure I'll be there for both shows. So what else have you got going on? I heard you're planning additional live shows. Yeah, we have another live show we're going to announce um, uh, in August, August 5th, I think. We're, it looks like right now. So it's another. It's like a 1,500-seat arena. Uh, not arena, theater kind of thing we're going to do. Um, other than that, the show itself, which is on three times a week, you can go find that wherever if you do a search on Apple or whatever. Um, you know, True Crime Series is going to come back at some point, I think, in the next uh, six months or so, but no, other than that, just kind of plugging away and, and, you know, enjoying it and staying out of trouble mostly, which is good. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just, to, just enjoying this sort of, um, you know, enjoying this tour. And like I said, I am, uh, I'm thrilled to be, I'll be happy to come on there anytime. I was glad, you know, like I said, I have Stephen Hyden on once in a while. I can't wait for that book. I also can't wait. Warren Zanes wrote a great, great Tom Petty biography, um, maybe eight or nine years ago. A tremendous book and he's doing a nebraska book which i cannot mm-hmm. wait for i think those two books are going to be awesome so i can't wait for those books it's a good it's a good you know it was down time for a bit during the pandemic but it's a good time to be a uh spring fan. so i should though i shouldn't even say that because i feel like every year we've gotten whether it's been not been the tour we've gotten something i feel like for the last i don't know 15 years it feels like that's probably not right but that's what it feels like well we've gotten a release every fall going back to to 18 starting with broadway western stars right. uh letter to you no nukes only the strong right. survive yeah so yeah. i mean and hal and i are bet we're definitely hoping almost praying that uh, this year is finally the year for for tracks too i was just about to ask you guys that i will make my prediction uh the hashtag kirk was right which is often trending <laughs> I'm going to tell you guys right now. I'm giving you the I'm giving you the Kirk Minahan guarantee here on Number the Brave. You will get tracks two this year. This year, okay. guaranteed. Guaranteed. Well, we we hope you are right, my friend. Yes, I'll probably be wrong, but that's a guarantee for now. So, well, I, <laughs> God, I hope, God, I hope so. God, I, I hope, hope so. I hope you're right. You know, in that Rotolo interview, Bruce actually said, "Well, I finished tracks two and blah blah blah," and you know, there was no follow up. 
<laughs> yeah, we were, yeah. And now we were annoyed with it's that. Just, it now yes. it's just sitting there in the vaults, apparently, or not even in the vaults, but somewhere in the can, ready to be ready to be released. Right, nice guy, very nice guy. The only game is to confuse Jim Rotola with Mike Wallace anytime soon, but a very nice guy. <laughs> but I don't think he's going to be. I don't think he's there to. I don't think Sirius is saying Jimmy, uh, drill down on Bruce on this one. Let's do our six minutes and then. Yeah. Let him get back to whatever he's doing off his cell phone and back uh, riding horses, whatever Bruce is doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, they're not doing any uh, hard-hitting journalism on, on Bruce's uh, ongoing no. uh, activities. But that would be great. Although although I still don't know. when Bruce, It's weird. I feel like the three of us, and I'm sure I'm wrong, I feel like the three of us know more about Bruce's uh, lost songs and unrecorded songs than Bruce does sometimes. I, 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 I just feel like he oh. doesn't know. And I understand why, given the volume, but, you know, he's – Oh, I don't know about Nebraska. I don't know about boring you. I, I feel like he doesn't know. And I get that because, you know, it's not like he's sitting around driving around his car listening to it. But it is it is surprising how out of it he is about that stuff sometimes. But maybe, maybe it shouldn't be. You, you know, I, I kind of have a theory about that. I think he plays dumb on, on that. Uh, I mean, he I think he does remember more than yeah. he more than he he lets on that's that's my theory and and for better or for worse we're hoping tracks too as as he said himself that it would focus on more of his 90s work and definitely really there's not much from the studio that's leaked out at all from from the yeah. 90s i think we have those greatest hit sessions where got a couple of songs but but that's it right yeah no uh, definitely i maybe we'll see I, like i said it would it would be it would be unbelievable unbelievable this show has been rooting for that since day one day in 2019, one. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. So we'll see if 2023 is, is the year. That waiting for the end of the world is from those sessions, right? Well, it was recorded in greatest hits, but apparently it yeah. was recorded also with the 92-93 tour right. at the end as, as part of some some album, probably the one that he they got to all the way to the end and then just said, nope, we're not going to release it. The version I hear on YouTube is that. Do you know? Is that the one you recorded with the ninety-two, ninety-three band? No, that's the that's the that's the E Okay, that's the E Street version. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That I, that's. I mean, fantastic song. Jesus, that's a great song. Well, Kirk, I, we cannot thank you enough for coming on and spending an hour with us. This has been <laughs> amazing, and you are welcome on our show anytime you want. Please come back and. Again, we, we just thank you for all the kind words you've said on your show about this podcast. Oh, of course. And now the real game for me begins. I'm going to try and turn you two against each other so I can slide in and take the job from one of you. So I can just talk about Springsteen as opposed to having to do my dumb show. Because, uh, But no, I, I, and I and I am a subscriber, as you know. Definitely go subscribe to these guys on Patreon if you have a chance to do that. Because it's, uh, it's just, I mean, it's, you know, like it is the now. With, especially with Backstreet's gone, is the essential Springsteen landing spot for I. I had people talking about the show, so I cannot can't tell you about you guys enough how much I uh, enjoy the show. So it was great to be on. I'm happy to be on anytime you want. Uh, thank you so much. We really really appreciate all the kind words. And when tracks two, I said when tracks two comes out this year, have you back on? Uh, get that Kirk was right hashtag going again. I might if I'm feeling good, I might even sing a song or two from that for you. If you, if you guys play your cards right, I might bring the harmonica with me. Who knows? All right, sounds good. All right, boys. Look forward to that. Thanks, Kirk. All right, thank you guys. And once again, that was Kirk Menahan of Barstool Sports. Check out his podcast on whatever podcasting platform you you like. And Hal, man, that was a lot of fun. He's he's quite the entertainer. He is a blast. Uh, he really is tremendously entertaining. And hearing about his live show and the singing, we will definitely have to have him back again. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Oh yeah, so much fun. And now I'm I'm going to have to see one of his shows now. I just I hope he plays. Uh, hope he plays New York at some point. Oh, maybe. Well, he seems to be playing mostly in the Northeast. I don't think he'll get to California, <laughs> but one can hope. Well, you can always fly in, so it's not out of, out of the realm of possibility. I have been known to do that. <laughs> Just a few times. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Kirk. We appreciate it. And to repeat the obvious, we really appreciate the support. Yes, we do. Absolutely. He's uh, brought, us, brought us a whole bunch of, whole bunch of listeners on, and, and Twitter followers, too. Yes. And you've got more shows coming up this week. I guess you'll be in Brooklyn. Yes, going to be in Brooklyn and then, uh, then Belmont next week. So. Oh. That's uh, that's going to be fun. That's going to be yeah. fun. It, I mean, obviously, the big question is whether 
he shakes anything up that second night in Belmont, considering it's the only two-night stand of the tour. I'm personally hoping for Priest and Burning Train, which I don't think is really out of the realm of possibility. It's not like I'm sitting here asking for protection. <laughs> uh, I hope Priest shows up, and I hope Jungle Land shows up. We'll have to see. Maybe I'll drop in for some of those shows. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, that, that would be great to see a show with you again after Tampa, and we'll reunite at the end of the leg, maybe. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up. None But the Brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment and presented by Evergreen Podcasts. On Twitter, we're at NBTB Podcast. And please, if you haven't, check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash MBTB Podcast. We're doing all sorts of fun things, live streams, special tour content. We've just started a message board. So you can get more details by checking out the page. Oh, definitely. The message board is... uh off to a good start and really having fun over there. Yes, we're enjoying interacting with all of our subscribers. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.